somebody might have called us a name, but we didn't get the same names he was called as he walked to that hill on Calvary for each and every one of us. Amen. Never know. Whoa, beautiful. Thank you, worship. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Never know. Never know. We are mothers. We are mothers. We're the ones who are stretched thin and stretched far. The ones who live on caffeine and God's grace. We're the ones whose hearts are walking around outside of our bodies. We are the women who love children that we didn't birth. The women who wait to hold the babies we couldn't carry. And the women who ache for a dream that sometimes feels unseen. We're the North Stars guide our children home and welcome them back into the fold no matter how far they might have gone we are the ones who love this life even on the days we don't like it motherhood is harder and holier and better than we ever thought some days you want to quit most days you can't imagine your life being anything else but becoming a mother changes everything and here's the truth that we all need to be reminded of today god chose you god chose you in this time for your children he called you he anointed you he entrusted you he trusts you god knew exactly what he was doing when he gave you your children he knew the long nights and the short years he knew the long nights and the short years he knew the pain and the incredible joy and he knew that there was no better mom for the job than you today today we celebrate you today we honor you because you carry one of the hardest and holiest callings you are a mother you are a mother you are a mother you are a mother Hello, hello. Maybe it was me. I'm sorry, Jerry. Please forgive me. Jeez. Well, happy Mother's Day. Mom's Day, as they say in England, or maybe they don't. Maybe I made that up. I know for some mothers in the room, it can be a tough time of year, too, as some of the mothers alluded to, whether you've lost a child or maybe you're a son or daughter that's lost a mother. You know, this can be a tough time of year. But it is a time to celebrate the times you did have. Amen? And for those who are expecting mothers, hopefully you took notes in that video. Yeah, D2L and Jumpstart, you can be dismissed. Thank you. But it is Mom's Day, and we want to celebrate them today. I, I wanted to do this. This was a last-minute thought, so we're going to see how this works.
I can't be scolded for wearing a hat in the sanctuary by myself. So. Mom, thank you for all those years that you've put up with my sarcasm. No. We love you, Mom. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you. You're wearing this too, my friend. Come on. I can't be the only pastor getting yelled at wearing a hat. There you go. I know your mom's somewhere in here too, so we love our moms. So thank you for all you do and all you go through. Sometimes not seeing the big pictures at times, meaning the big picture at times, but you continue to love and nurture and do what you do. So, And pick up after me. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you. All right, but happy Mom's Day. Can uh, those who are mothers right now please stand up? We've got a gift for you, but we want to pray for you as a congregation too. So as I'm praying, some of the ushers will be handing you some chocolate. So don't have your eyes closed too hard as we're praying here. But I wanted to come together as a church community and pray over our moms and bless them for all they do. Words don't really measure everything, but praying coming together will certainly amount to a lot in our appreciation for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. We honor you for what you've done in the design of motherhood. It was your design and in putting some of you into our mothers, Lord, that nurturing, the loving, the sensitivity, Lord. We just pray for these mothers right now, whether their children are gone or close to them or far away. We just thank you for giving them grace over all those years and even more grace to come. And the love of overwhelming them, of how much you hear them and see them. And as a church community, we celebrate them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. If you didn't get chocolate, keep standing. That's just a small token of our appreciation for you today. Well, you may be seated if you have... Men, you can't keep standing. You're not getting candy. So I see one guy over there. No, no, no. Well... Again, what a beautiful day outside today, and certainly even more beautiful in here. Thanks for joining us online as well, too. Uh, just a few thankful things. Uh, Pastor Mike, thank you for last week. That was great message. And then Miss Verda Jones for Wednesday night. I don't know if Verda's here today, but yeah, come on, Miss Verda Jones. So that was great. I was out in uh, Tulsa last weekend doing some prayer and fasting and meeting with some people. And then equally important, I thought, I picked my daughter up from her first year of college and Emma's here today. So we're happy for her to be here too. So, but I knew you were in good hands with Pastor Mike. So thank you so much for that. Well, the title of today's message is Men in Grace, no, Women in Grace. Women in Grace. You see, over history, and even biblical history, there's many examples of women who had to walk in divine grace to fulfill what they were called to do. And some of us, even in this room, 
can be thankful for that type of grace as well, right? But for me to begin to talk about grace and women in it, and we'll go over some examples today, you have to talk about faith first. Why, Pastor? Well, most of us might know. Uh, In Hebrews 11.6, could you put that up? And it's impossible to please God without faith. I get excited when I hear that sentence because if I'm able to please God, I must be serving a relational God, right? Not just some taskmaster in the sky, but a relational God. And then I all know that I have a part to play to pleasing God as well, too. It says, anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Today I'm taking that word reward and turning it upside down and calling that grace. So if we seek him and have faith in him, And he's pleased in us. He will give us. You guys are tracking. This is beautiful. Okay. So we have to know about faith. And we're not going to spend too much time on this. But you need to know that your part is to grow your faith. His part is to give you his grace. Right? It's not rocket science. Sometimes we get it upside down and think we're in charge of giving us our own grace to make it through things. No, that's him. That is absolutely him. I heard this statement about faith, and there's many, we can go through many scriptures, and they're powerful too. But faith is basically, faith is not the belief without proof. That's some of it. But it's really rather the trust without reservation. I mentioned this recently. Faith, leaning, trusting, everything into a God that wants to relate to you wants you to do His will. And in doing so, He will empower you to do that. And that's when grace begins to come, right? A definition in the working definition of today and next week, because this is a two-weeker talking about grace. We may not talk about, sorry women, all women next week, but today's Mother's Day. But this is quite a big thing about grace, talking about grace. It's nothing you skim over in life. You use it more than you think you do, I bet, or rely on it. But here's a definition, our working definition this week and next week. It's called the unmerited favor of God. It is the inexhaustible supply of God's goodness based on the work of Christ, whereby he does for us what we do not deserve, could never earn, and would never be able to repay. That's grace. That's grace. Any, any, well, don't show hands. We, we, we attempt once a, once a year to, in our family, to play the board game Monopoly. Mm, get mixed reactions or like the other one's like, what's Monopoly? So, but the mixed reactions of Monopoly, we do it, we attempt it because it takes a long time to do it, right? Um, by any means, I'm not minimizing a bo- uh, grace to a board game, but there's this one spot on the, on the board that says what? Go to... Right. And it stinks when you get in it, right? Right? Because Monopoly is a competitive game. 
I've been at some where those houses, they go flying. I mean, things it's competitive. You know, people are very engaged that want to win Monopoly. A beautiful capitalistic game, but that's a whole other thing. But anyhow, but anyway, you don't want to go to jail, right? Well, what, yeah, exactly. Amen. Somebody didn't want to. Thank you. We deserved hell. All, every one of us, even the ones that have tighter ties than others. We deserved hell. But God. But God. Through His grace. Gave us that wonderful card. Get out of jail card, right? Just to talk about a song that uh, impacted me and many of you. And dating my age. Like a bridge over troubled water. That bridges grace to many, right? We need grace. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, says, each time he said, meaning Jesus, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad and feel sorry for myself because I am weak. And God might hear me someday. No, so now I am glad to boast about my weakness. That's an upside down thing in culture. So that the power of Christ can work through me. Notice he says, through me. That idea of working and truth of working through me means I'm called to something than myself, right? So we're going to look at some wonderful, amazing women in the Bible and then another example that I have too where they leaned all the way into grace. They needed it just as much as you may need it now. (laughs) Some of you may be throwing a life raft to somebody else. Some of you may just be swimming in a pool. Lord, do you hear me? Do you see me? He does. You see, what we're going to talk about is with these women that we're going through, the amazing women, is that every, in most of their stories, not all, but the majority of them, they had to wait on something. They had to endure on something. And then God fulfilled a miracle from something. So those three things that they had to go through. And they needed grace at every level. So how can we but not start, start with this amazing woman, our Lord and Savior's biological mom, Mary, right? Let's start in uh, Luke one thirty through 37. Now, If an angel comes to you and says, don't be afraid, that's a good intro. Because I don't know about you, I would say I would be afraid, right? But actually, that's just part of why he said that, to not startle her. I believe the other part of why he had to say that was what he was going to fulfill in her through God. 
Because listen to what he gives her, a mouthful. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestors, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. That's a mouthful right there. Mary asked the angel, probably tried to interrupt, excuse me, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be born, born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant. Again, John the Baptist we know. In her old age, people used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the Word of God will never fail. We can rest in that. You may not need an angel, but you have this thing called the Word of God, whether it's in your lap or on your phone or planted on your refrigerator with sticky notes. You have the Word of God. So, I believe after the angel left and was done, that's when Mary had to start waiting. Just think of that. The angel disappears. Mary probably looks the same minutes later. There's no bump on her stomach, nothing going on. But she had to wait. And we know the story well if we've been practicing a Christian Christmas service or whatever. But she had to wait on many levels through her time on planet Earth. So the bump comes on the stomach. Uh, just by the way, I got to, uh, men, women have the ultimate grace to carry a pregnancy and deliver a child. Amen? So let's not ever think that they are at a different level of strength than we are. There's a reason why we don't become pregnant probably. I don't have the answer why, but God knows what he's doing. So she's pregnant. So there's a bump. And now she has to wait to say, okay, this bump, is it going to be Jesus? There's nine months of waiting. And then see, not even at the manger, it didn't stop waiting. Because then at the manger, she gives birth. Now she has to wait to see the rest of the prophecy fulfilled. Is he going to be the son of God? Is he going to rule a kingdom? She needed grace along the way. Yes, miracles are happening. And maybe there was a part in her her spirit and her, her soul that said, all right, it's coming to pass. Then wait a minute. They're taking him to a cross. Wait a minute. I have to wait and see this through. Not only was she waiting... You must have known she had to, through grace, endure to see her her son beaten and having to carry his own cross for a period of time to his death. 
She had to endure that. She needed grace. And then enduring that and the grace that came on that third day. When she went, thinking it's like no ordinary day, went to the tomb of her son, and he wasn't there. See, grace carried her to that point. She could have gave up many times during that. God rewarded her so much that she really, as you know, was our first evangelist, was a woman. Amen. The angel said, go tell, for Jesus is arisen. And she did. And she saw that. So in her, she needed grace to go through everything. She certainly did. The waiting, the enduring, and certainly to that miracle, getting to the miracle. Let's go back a little further to Abram and Sarah. We, most of us should know the story. God hears a voice that says one clear night, see all those stars in the sky? You're going to be the father of many. And then he looks around and sees Sarah to his left. And no kids to his right. <laughs> really? We talk about Abram a lot, but I believe the pressure was really on Sarah. <laughs> Can I say that? He's a man of faith. Abram became Abraham. But the pressure was on Sarah. So much that we know is in that time where she had to start her waiting, seeking grace, putting faith in a God that said this, she didn't do so good at first, right? I don't blame Abram. I know we're a mature audience here today, but uh, Sarah <laughs> knew she had to help God out. So she goes to her husband, hey, Hagar here, I think this will work out beautifully. Abram says, I need to pray and fast for another 30 days. <laughs> Sarah didn't maybe have the grace she needed to at that moment. And what happened, we had an Ishmael, and we'll talk about Hagar in a minute. But once Ishmael was born, you can tell that Sarah had, began to walk in this divine grace of waiting. Waiting. I mean, they're not young. And then God bestows Isaac through what he originally said, through Sarah, because of her waiting and the grace that she had. Grace does not elevate you over trouble it helps push you through it we live in a eat microwave popcorn and and 
instant information type of world, and uh, which brings our senses, our, our craving, our humanness to want more and more of instant gratification, right? Grace is a process that needs to simmer, like in a crock pot, marinate. It's not your easy answer, but it is the answer. Right? So Isaac was born, and God was able to fulfill the promise to Abram and Sarah. And I believe a lot of that came through was Sarah walking and receiving the grace that God gave her to, to do that. Got to talk about Hagar for a minute. She was doing what she was told to do. But I got to think, and we'll read a scripture in a second, that she had a lot of pressure on her. (laughs) And then a lot of endurance was needed. I'm not saying it was the Jerry Springer household. But you have Abram, Sari, and Hagar all together. Wasn't your normal family dynamics. Wasn't your normal family dynamics. So as many of you hopefully know, Hagar became pregnant by spending some time with Abram. And let's see if I can get the scripture here real quick. She had a child named Ishmael. Can we go to Genesis 16, 6 through... Uh, I don't know when I'll stop. Just That's fine. Thank you. So this is Abram. Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. So there was tension going on in the family. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. God is not far away in any of your mistakes. In fact, I think he's closer than ever. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, notice he didn't say, do not be afraid. Hagar said, Sarah's servant, where you have come in from, and where are you going? Hagar said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. She said, The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress. Probably not the news she wanted to hear. And even worse, submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And then the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. And his name will be Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. That's as far as we'll go there. So even though mistakes were happening, God heard her. God heard her. You've made many mistakes as women. Sometimes you put yourself up here 
to be the perfect mom or just a woman in your, their profession. But I've got to be up here and put so high regards. But at anything you think you've made a mistake, God sees you and hears you. And He will give you the grace to endure and to put out a miracle in you somewhere. But it's through grace. Through grace. I had uh, a friend, still do. Sorry, I'm jumping around my notes. I had some notes early this morning and jumping around a little bit here. My friend, there was a, it's a mother and a daughter and, and then their son. And you may have a lot of the similar stories. This is a real story where uh, she brought, she was a single mom, had to bring her kids up and she brought her kids up in church and the son just began when he had 18, he hit the door. See ya. So he stayed local but she could just continue to see that his life was slowly being vacuumed into culture and, and uh, just the world of different ways. But she stayed, stayed and prayed and continued to wait and knew that her son was a son of the Most High God. So she continued to wait. Years went by, years went by. They would see each other at Mother's Day, but he just looked worse and worse every year. Finally, the confrontation, he was, she asked him and said, I know you're aging, but you look like you're going downhill physically, your attention, everything else. And come to find out he was addicted to many drugs and different things like that. It's not a unique story, right? But she kept waiting and know that God had promised her son to be a son of the Most High. A few years went back, went further and further and further, and she got, he got in a, a major accident because of his addiction. He went to the hospital. He would not let his family, his sister and mother, see him. So she sat in that hospital room waiting and at this point, enduring, because everything she had waited and prayed about didn't seem to be coming to pass the way she thought. And she asked for grace. God, you need to give me grace because on my own, I'm about to give up. See, God's, God's an amazing orchestrator. When you begin to not want grace and figure things out on your own, you begin to self-inflict a thing called now God's eliminating that way to get things done. Does that make sense? You can't start figuring things out because God, whatever He does in many, many cases, He wants to leave His thumbprint on what happened. Because He's a loving God, not because He's got an ego or He's insecure. So grace comes in to help work things out his way. So back to the story, I said, God's a great orchestrator. Well, (laughs) 
heard someone to hear nothing about God again, grew up in church. But wouldn't you find out that a few of the nurses caring for him were born-again believers? And I know it's not the first time. Many of you may have this story. He can't move. He's in bed. And they begin to ask him questions and pray for him while she's downstairs waiting and enduring. He gets out of the hospital, a miracle in itself. And he goes to his mom and says, I can't explain what happened, but can I come home? And now he's a husband with kids leading a ministry, actually. So you've got to, yes, it's God working. But it started with the mom and the daughter knowing they needed grace. So God could work in these moments, right? And I know I'm preaching to the choir for some of this. Many of you have prayer closets that have no clothes in it, but you're in there praying. God sees you and hears you. He sees you and hears you. Let's talk about Queen Esther. A mighty woman of God that was put in a unique situation that she could but only rely on the grace of God to fulfill the calling that God was calling her to do. Just abbreviated story, you may know it, but obviously she was born Jewish. I'll give you the condensed version. Uh, She was pretty, and the king liked that and, and brought her into the fold and basically crowned her queen. I mean, I'm sure she had many qualities, but that was one that attracted him right away, as we find out. And not many people knew of her heritage, being Jewish. She had a guardian called Mordecai. And uh, Mordecai, because parent, Esther's parents had passed away, Mordecai is kind of the overseer. He's Jewish, but he also has some influence in the kingdom with the king in doing what he was doing. Well, there comes a point that politics and all fun things come into play sometimes where Haman, who was in the king's royal kingdom, I don't remember his title, I apologize, I'm condensing this. So he doesn't like Jews, he knows Mordecai's a Jew, he just didn't, they they weren't jiving, they didn't get along. So then Haman says, well, he goes to the king and says, well, let's just kill all Jews. I don't think he said it like that. He persuaded him. Um, So Esther gets wind of this through Mordecai saying, wait a minute, this is my people. God, how can I be a part of this change? And Mordecai says, and we've we've used this in, in our Christian circles, you've been born for such a time as this, Esther. Well, she took that to heart. And through prayer and fasting, by the way, it's a wonderful thing to do if you're looking for grace to be coming into your life. Prayer and fasting on what to do next with her influence. God gives her insight to hold this feast and basically call everybody out under the carpet and let God work its way through. So we're going to pick up on that real quick. Can we go to uh, Esther, surprisingly, 7, 1 through 10, I think. 
So Esther got wisdom to hold this banquet. So it starts, so the king and Haman, again, Haman's the person who wanted to kill most of the Jews because he didn't like Mordecai, went to the queen Esther's banquet. On this second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? And I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom. Imagine hearing that. I think you would start realizing that God's at work, right? If he worked through a donkey, he can work through a king that doesn't believe in him. On the second, uh, Queen Esther replied, I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and inhabilitate us. If we have merely been sold as slaves, I could remain, couldn't remain quiet, for that would be too trivial of a matter to warrant disturbing you, king, basically. Who would do such a thing, the king said, and demanded, who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Imagine sitting at the banquet table, because Hammond's sitting next to him, I got to think, because he was almost his right-hand man too. Who? And God's orchestrating. He's working it out. Esther replied, the wicked Hammond, (laughs) the guy to the left or the right, is our adversary and your enemy, because he was planning to take the kingdom over too. Hammond grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace garden. Hammond, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther. Oh, the tables turned. For he knew that the king intended to kill him now. In desperation, he fell on the couch. It's amazing when people cry for mercy couch where Queen Esther was reclining. So she was pretty comfortable in this whole situation because God was at work. Just as the king was returning from the palace garden, the king exclaimed, will he ever assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? (laughs) And as soon as the king spoke, attendants covered Haman's face, signaling doom. Then Harbana, sorry, one of the king's eunuchs said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use this to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the kingdom from assassination. Going way back, Mordecai found favor with the king because there was a plot to kill him and he, he saved that. Then impaled Haman on it. There were no commercial breaks, just went right to that. Then impaled Haman on it, the king ordered. So they impaled Haman on it, the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Isn't that saying, you know, God works for good what devil meant for evil? That's fine, you get the gist. So basically, the tables were all turned around and the plot to kill the Jewish people was foiled and I believe if you read further, it does say how the influence that Esther had even grew greater at that point for him. She didn't know what to do when that information came to her. And in that enduring time, she knew to go to prayer and fasting and ask for grace 
and grace that she let receive from God, let him work in that dinner. God is always at work in our life. Quickly, she's not in the Bible, but it's okay to say this, I think. So how about there was a woman that was waiting and endured until December 1st, 1955. We know her name is Rosa Parks. Segregation was very, and many of you lived through that. Remember segregation, what was going on there. And one day she got on that bus. I bet there were times before that bus that she wanted to make a stance for what was going on. But because of grace, it held her to that day of December 1st. See, on that day, the bus was filling up where somebody had to ask Rosa to move. There was an interview with her, because I, I need to know this in the history books. There was an interview that said, people think I was like 80-something years old and I didn't want to get up because I was tired. I had not come from back from work. I was at the age of around 40. I was just tired of giving in. The grace held her to that day. And many other women. And that act of grace that I believe God gave her led to the movement of changing segregation. This is a powerful verse, Philippians 4.13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That should be your default vocabulary, your sentences in your mind, in your spirit, when things come into play. It should always be that. Another woman was Hannah in the Bible. She couldn't give birth. And many of us, many women know about how that can be. But she received the grace to continue to believe in God. And through that, Samuel was born. Samuel, one of the most pivotal prophets of the Israel nation, came out of a lady that was not supposed to bear a child. She had to wait. She had to endure. And then because of that grace, she found the miracle when God worked. Hannah. How about the woman with the issue of blood? Doesn't tell a lot about her. But she was human, so we can probably grab some insight before that moment she touched Jesus' garment. She dealt with this for many, many years, this sickness, this illness. Praying for a miracle. But every time she prayed for that miracle, grace kept flooding in to say, you can go on, you can keep going. And there was that day when a crowd was passing by and she saw the opportunity. Grace allowed her to stretch out, stretch out in faith 
Again, back to what we say, you need the faith. That's you. That's you exercising your part. And through grace, her miracle arrived of her being whole. So impactful we know Jesus stopped in his tracks. Who touched me? A lady that was walking in grace. Two other ladies. How about Mary and Martha? Martha gets a bad rap most of the time. And we're not going to talk about when Jesus comes to the house and she's cleaning like a neo-Nazi and, 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 and uh, Mary's at the foot of Jesus and there's so much of a contrast going on. Both of them wanted to host the best experience for Jesus. But both of them were at different places. So don't discount Mary. Excuse me, Martha. Don't discount her. Because she had a heart to please Jesus too. Just with a bottle of clean in her hand. No, she did. So I want to tell you about a different story. You go to John 11, 1 through 44. This whole scene, I believe, all both of those women, Mary and Martha, had to wait, <laughs> endure before their miracle. But because of the grace between the wait and enduring, the miracle arrived. And many of us know this story, but it is focusing on the, the two ladies. A man named Lazarus, meaning Mary and Martha's brother, was sick. He lived in, the, in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a messenger to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. So he didn't die yet. We know that. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And that's where Mary and Martha had to begin to wait. It had to be very bad for Lazarus, what they were witnessing in front of him. But they had to wait. Wait a minute, Jesus is not coming now? What do you mean? Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you, gonna, are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of a daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. He was always sneaking in these great truths with his, his illustrations because he is truth. But at the night, there is a danger of stumbling because they have no light. He, then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. So they're trying to comprehend this. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will realize, really believe, come let's go see him. So he's saying, I didn't have to show up right then and there. The God of the universe is not dictated by our time schedules, even with death approaching. Thomas, nicknamed the twins, said to his fellow disciple, let's go too and die with Jesus. Because they're still really saying, man, they just tried stoning you last time. When Jesus, bless you, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. So Mary and Martha waiting four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to consult Mary and Martha in their loss. I have a feeling their consultation and their consoling was not helping them receive the grace that God wanted to bestow on them. This is so bad. Your friend didn't show up? When Martha got the word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. I wonder if Mary was waiting to gain her composure. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you only had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone rises at the last day. He's got to get clear again. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me a.k.a. Christ followers, and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? So he's, he's, he's bringing her to a point right there where grace needs to flood her, but he has to ask this question first. Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners probably pulling her away and told her the teacher is here and he wants to see you so mary immediately went to him jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where martha met him i think he did that for a reason because he needed their undivided attention in what he was telling them he didn't need more people around them sometimes your most profound things that you hear from god are not in a large room. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her, saw her leave so hastily, they assured she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, so they followed her. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you only had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, so now it's just a big party, a deep anger welled up within, that, within him, and he was so deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. This is one of the most, outside of the Garden of Gethsemane, this is the most clearest picture of Jesus' humanity right here. He wept. He wept. Keep going. 
the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't that have been Lazarus from dying? So all the accusers are rising up in their fear, basically. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb in the cave where the stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, (laughs) the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he has been dead for four days. Again, it had to be the cleaning lady one. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I say it out loud for the sake of all the people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. That's where we'll stop. Mary and Martha had to wait. And then when Jesus even arrived, I believe that's when the enduring started accelerating because the mourners said, oh, you know, and it's natural, crying out, influencing what has happened, making accusations to their good friend, Messiah, Jesus Christ. But somewhere in those moments, God flooded them with grace because they went to the tomb where he came out and found their miracle. Many of you may be at a point where you feel you've lost something. It's never too late if you ask for grace. Never too late. The women we looked at today, again, were waiting, enduring, and through grace found their miracle. But I pose today, how many things are you waiting for? Or are you past that and you have, you're enduring right now? God wants to give you the grace to come through it. Not fly over it, but to come through it. Grace is such a, an amazing thing that we don't spend enough time talking about sometimes. Especially in church. We don't. And you're going to find out next week. We're going to dive into it. Next week, the title is Serving Up Grace. Because you've been given grace to help you go through things. But now you may be called to give grace and serve it up to somebody else around you. And it's what the world is waiting for. Why don't we stand? Women in Grace. Thank you, women, for relying on God and the Holy Spirit to give grace. Lord, I just pray today that if anyone in this room or watching online, and especially our beautiful women today and mothers, Lord, flood them with your love in times that there may be uncertainty in their lives. Never let them second 
thing, let them never second guess how you've called them to be loving to those around them. Lord, if there's kids that are far away, give them the grace to keep praying and fasting for them to return. No matter wherever you are, waiting, enduring, through grace, the miracle will come. The miracle will come. Increase your faith. That's all your part to do, Lord. Remind us. We're just to increase our faith towards you. Leaning in, trusting you alone. And through that, you will bring the grace. You will bring the grace. Father, some of us just need rest. (laughs) We're going, trying to be that perfect mom or woman on our job and relationships. Give them the grace to know they just need to rest. And in that rest, you can speak to them. Because as we saw earlier, you hear all our cries. You know where we are. You know where we are. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.